Internets, I got so many announcements to make, man. Okay? You ready for them? Here we go. Let's start with one. This weekend, down in L.A., Long Beach, I'll be there. If you're from L.A., you're from Long Beach, you're from anywhere near there, come out and check out your boy, man. I'll be down in Complex Con with my Puma family, doing a bunch of activations with them, man. It's going to be crazy there, man. I'll tell you, there's so many brands, so many people going to be involved. So if you're, if you're from the L.A. side and you fuck with the show... Come and say what's up to me, man. I'll be in L.A., okay? So that's one. Two, man, the live show, the next stop of the live show, November 15th, 6 to 9 p.m. in Philadelphia at the WeWork Northern Liberties location. Let me tell you something. It's going to be special. So many different people I'm bringing up from all walks of life. Sponsored by Grillo's Pickles, Jason Mark, and Suplex Philadelphia. I'm, I can't wait. I'm excited. RSVP link in my bio on IG, okay? You go there, man. RSVP, bring a friend. We're going to have sounds, food, conversation, networking. Put it this way. It's a premium pizza live show on steroids with networking. Come and fuck with the kid in real life. I think Dallas Penn is coming out too. Listen, I also want to take this moment to send my blessings and prayers to my brother, Reggie Combat Jack. Um, I visited him a couple of times already and, you know... Um, is nobody stronger than him as far as um, beating this and, 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 and really just inspiring other people while at the same time fighting um, cancer. So I definitely want to send my blessings and prayers. Combat cancer, hashtag combat cancer. Love you, Reg. And so listen, this week on this episode, we have the one and only, okay? Never been on a podcast before, Mr. G-Spin. G-Spin's a bunch of things, man. Kid from Boston. A DJ. Yeah, he was on radio. An assistant program director for Power many years. And now over at UTA doing a bunch of things. Just just been in the music industry for so many years. Uh, well-connected, well-respected. He's a real good dude. And, and, and we sit down with him and break down all these stories about, you know, what 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 the assistant program director does and, and what goes on on radio and some of the moments that were history for them, like The Breakfast Club and Angie Martinez and... And some other shows they thought of. Internets, I present to you the G-Spin episode. Let's get to it. Cheer. Cheer, cheer. Come on, everybody, get set. Let's go. It's the next episode. It's the Premium Pete Show. News, interviews, all of the info. Listen up. It's the Premium Pete Show. If you want to scoop in the low, down low. Listen to the show, cause Milk said so. Fuck what you heard, better act like you know. It's the Premium Pete Show. Internet, welcome back to another episode of the Premium Pete Show. Sitting here with the one and only <laughs> G Spin Pete. What's up, man? Listen, first of all, thank you, for, thank you, for, thank I, you for having me. This is the, this is actually, I think the uh, the first podcast that I've done, man. Oh, listen, I feel honored. You know, yeah. for a while, it's funny too because for a while, um, I remember coming up to Power, mm-hmm. seeing you. Um, I remember wanting to telling Reggie that I wanted that we should do an episode. I mean, he, he's mentioned it too. Re, re, yeah, we had we had talked about it a couple of times. Do an episode with you yeah, back yeah, then. So I was like, look, you know, I thought about people that I wanted, and one of them was definitely G Spin. First of all, right Appreciate off the bat, that. right off the bat, yes, sir. How is where's G Spin come okay. from? All right, so we'll go back. So you know, through the you know, I think every DJ probably has the story of you know how they got their DJ name. I had a couple really bad DJ names, although in retrospect, one of them I think might have actually worked out to be pretty good. So 
when I was kind of just getting my feet wet in the hip hop game, the first, my first entry into it, my first terrible entry into it was I was doing graph and I was terrible. Mm -hmm. Not only was I terrible at it, but I was getting caught all the time. Graffiti for those. Graffiti. Yeah. 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 So, and my, my tag name at the time was Duracell, the cop, the (laughs) copper top. Pretty good. Right. Redhead, copper top. Why not? So I was, I was Duracell. Um, that the, the graffiti thing didn't last. I would not only was I getting caught, I was ended up being a lookout for some guys that were doing graffiti, and I was getting caught as the lookout. So that wasn't that wasn't uh, what we were gonna do. So then it went to DJ Duracell. Um, then it went to DJ Double G because my first and my last name are spelled with G's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am Jeff with a G, and mm-hmm. so everybody then like going through high school, and when I really started to kind of get my feet under me as a DJ, everybody would call me G. Hence the G spin. So that's mm-hmm. that's kind of how it came. So mm-hmm. okay, a couple of bad DJ names, and this is where we end up. So and, and here we are. Yeah, grew up in Boston. Yep, born and raised. Mom and dad. Yep, mom and dad always super supportive. What, um, what did mom? What did mom do? Mom was a paralegal. My my dad. Uh, he he was in sports. He was a broadcaster. Mm-hmm. So kind of you know through all my tweets and stuff how passionate yeah. uh, we are about sports. So grew up like that. Um, always kind of super supportive of kind of everything that we did. Mm-hmm. Um, grew up uh, in the West End, which is kind of over where the garden is, uh, and moved to Brookline, uh, I think at the time I was in sixth grade. Um, for those that don't know, Brookline, pretty good, beautiful community, kind of surrounded by Boston, but it's kind of its own suburbs. Um, and kind of, you know, that, that was the growing up process. What would you, for people who... You know, paint the picture of yeah. what Boston was like growing okay. up for you. For me, um, I went in the early days. It was it was obviously a lot of sports and stuff for me. Um, once I got, I went to a private school um, called BBNN, which was in Cambridge, um, and it was it was it was a good school. I, I did really well in school, probably up until sixth grade, and then I kind of started to fall off a mm. little bit. Um, but I would say was never really exposed necessarily to the city. Um, you know, I think probably, you know, I do have memories. My mother tells a story all the time about, you know, the, the Boston busing crisis. And, you know, you know, and it's funny, I, I never really realized how big the integration of busing was a national issue because I always kind of equated it with Boston. And mm-hmm. my mother tells a story of how there was something going on a TV. And I said, Mommy, why is that blue boy beating up that black boy? And she was like, what are you talking about? And I was talking about the color of the shirts. Sure, sure. I didn't, I didn't, you know what I'm saying? I didn't know any better. And my parents were never, um, we always had, uh, for me, I always had friends of all types of colors. It wasn't, you know, it, it, I wasn't living in Southie and I wasn't living in Dorchester and I wasn't living in um, East Boston or South Boston where maybe it was a lot more prevalent. So in terms of that stigma, that Boston stigma, for me, I never saw it at the time. It was more sports for me sports teams that's kind of what it was when I moved to Brookline um I was a pretty good athlete and so I was a good basketball player and and I'll never forget this guy we had a a teacher at my school who was a a basketball teacher it was funny I was listening to Michael Rappaport on the breakfast club the other day and it was a very similar story um I was a pretty good ball player and so this guy saw some talent in me and he was a he was a great guy and he and he taught a uh, didn't teach he coached the inner city team in boston at this league called bnbl and this was before like aau any of that sure, it was sure. a, bnbl was like the neighborhood league and he coached his team called the squires and he brought me onto the team and for me 
I was the only white guy on the team. I was probably one of three or four white guys in the entire league. Um, and it kind of just got me around guys. And it was ne- and I, it was never any, at least for me, and maybe I was ignorant to it. I didn't, I didn't feel like they were looking at me funny. It was just, it was a very comfortable atmosphere for me to play on this team. Um, and I think that kind of started to really open my eyes up into um, the culture a little bit and kind of what they were listening to. Growing up, musically, I was listening to, uh, you know, it's funny. I, uh, somebody asked me the other day, well, what was the first record you bought? Well, you know, if you were to ask me, I would say, well, the first DJ record I bought was probably Sucker MCs by Run DMC. But the reality was, I think I probably did one of those Columbia House things where, you know, you sent sure. you a penny you and then 10, they sent you, you 20 10. records yep. to the house. Yep. You know, my mother was like, where are all these records coming from? Not understanding. I just committed to like a 10 year plan of yep. buying records from this place. Um, but I was listening to everything from, you know, like Billy Joel Glass Houses, the Ariel Speedwagon to um, you know, Michael. J- like I had a very wide range of things that I was into. Um, and early memories for me in terms of being exposed to music was watching Motown 25. Like mm-hmm. for me, that was the thing that kind of really opened my eyes up, not just to Michael Jackson, but kind of like the whole Motown sound and all that stuff. So that's where that started. And then kind of as all this was going on with me playing basketball in the city, kind of that's when hip hop kind of came into my life and kind of exposed me to, again, graffiti at first. And then DJing came along a little bit later. You know, what's amazing is that, and, and I think there's a lot of similar, you know, cultures and similar mm-hmm. races that deal with certain things. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that is I always I always contribute Coney Island, growing up in Coney Island, to mm-hmm. helping me see a melting pot, to helping yep. me uh, not be one of those kids in the 80s and 90s who is, is, is just only looking at black or white. Mm-hmm. It gave sure. me a chance to see more. To, you know, and I've been able to live my life like that and yeah. marry whoever I want. Right, and, and I think that was for you for Coney Island. Now, again, where I was living at the time, it wasn't very integrated. I mean, Brookline was almost completely white. But the school, but, but for but where the, what I got exposed to through this one coach who, you know, for whatever reason saw some talent in me and took a liking to me, was like, you know what, I'm going to put you on this team in the inner city. And I'm, you know, I'm taking at the time it was the Orange Line. By myself, which sure. is the other thing, too, because now that I have kids, realizing how I moved around the city on my bike or on the train by myself at 13, 14, you would never nowadays, sure, sure, you know sure. what I'm saying, let your kids kind of roam around. It's just different times. But kind of the freedom of, you know, it was one of, we grew up in a time where your parents were like, go out and play, little street lights come on, hey, come home. Come home. You know what I mean? We don't, that's, that's not the culture these kids have today. I, I like that it opened your, you know, like something like, going to after school or mm-hmm. going to a program that played ball yep. open your mind to so many other things. Absolutely. And even like when you look at it, when you look at it in, you know, 20, 20 plus years later, you know, your wife that you married, mm-hmm. right? She, she's black, right? Yep. You know, your kids are biracial, yep. you know? Yep. So what I mean is you, I don't want to say you broke the chains, but what right. I want to say is that you, you chose who you, who you loved. Yep. Never Absolutely. over like, and, and I think no. it's important because I've, I've done the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I didn't go by the things that people would say because, and I don't know, this is a question for you. I, I've had it happen to me growing up loving hip hop mm-hmm. at a young age. You ever get called a wigger? You know what's funny? I, I, his maybe, and, and I'll kind of, I'll go back a little bit to kind of how I got started. Um, when I really got introduced to the hood, I remember as a DJ, mm. um, there was a, there's a, and this was probably, I'd probably been DJ now for three or four years before I really got my first serious rap group. It was this group called Microphone Thunder. Mm. And they were all from Roxbury. And we had, uh, our manager was this guy, Big Woe, who worked at the Roxbury, uh, 
I think it was called RCC at the time. And God, shout out to Wall. I love him for this. But he had he had me behind the curtain. So it was like one of those neighborhood talent shows. And so he had me behind the screen while the group was out performing in, in front. Like he had me behind the curtain. And I was in and so then they got kind of threw it to a DJ break. And I remember I was speed mixing um Eric B as president. And kind of like, and the crowd was into it. And then like quarter way through it, they opened up the curtain and it was this little white kid DJ and they lost their minds. Mm. You know what I mean? So to that point, and I got accepted because mm. they were like, he's, he's nice. Um, I learned how to DJ because I went to an upperclassman's party my freshman year in school. And it was this kid DJ, Ant Green, who was an amazing, still probably through all the DJs that I've looked up to throughout the years is still, I hold him in such high regards because he was so ahead of his time. You know, he was like Mixmaster Ice, DJ Cheese, like these incredible battle DJs almost. And I knew his, I knew his brother who was, who was a little young. I, and I, I went to the party and I saw him DJing and it just, whatever it was hit me. I was like, that's what I want to do. And I knew it at the time. And not just that's what I want to do as a hobby. I was like, that's what I want to do for life. For sure. whatever reason it hit me. Whether or not I could do that, I don't know. And I hounded him and hounded him and hounded him and hounded his brother. I was like, teach me how to do it, teach me how to do it, teach me how to do it. 14-year-old, little white kid from uh, Brookline. And he was like, okay, kid. He was like, you want to come learn how to DJ? You got to come to my house and learn. Great, no problem. Where you live? Roxbury. Cool, no problem. What I didn't realize was he lived in arguably one of the toughest housing projects in Roxbury at the time, the Academy Homes. And he lived, he wasn't on the outskirts. He sure, sure. In it. And so he was like, if you want to learn how to DJ every day, you, you, you know, learn how to DJ, you got to come here and you got to learn how to do it after school, Saturdays, whatever. And I did it. And I remember just walking through. And it's funny you said that because like, you would think that, especially at those times, there weren't a lot of white kids doing what I was doing. I never got bothered. Did I probably get looked at strange? Yes. Did I ever feel threatened? I never did. And eventually what I think happened over the next, you know, over the time, it was um, they were like, oh, that's Ant's boy. The only time I probably ever got called wigger or whatever was from other white kids. Sure, sure. And well, well, you know that, what I'm yeah, saying? That, yeah, exactly. It, right. And that's and, exactly. and but I didn't. That didn't kind of really affect me. I had a really good group of friends mm. that were white, black, Asian, Spanish, and and we we kind of just moved how we moved. It was kind of the townies that maybe would do that from time to time. I, you know, I didn't have time for that. You know. You know, one day I hope that we live in a in, in a world that. Mm completely uh you know evolved it'll take a long going, time we probably it seems won't like see it's, it. going it's going backwards back. unfortunately but i will yeah. say this isn't it funny how people will make fun of you and mm-hmm. look at you different mm-hmm. for what being diversified people will make funny yeah. i remember like like even me like i made fun of people who want to be healthy like right. I'm like, what are you fucking do you want to do gluten-free yeah, you want to yeah, do yeah. again what's so wrong with that right these motherfuckers are trying to be healthy right so what i'm saying is you have like kids who probably were taught by their parents mm-hmm uh, uh, about not liking somebody because of a color with, with well, no that's substance their, that's behind their, it. That's their self hate exactly. within themselves. Exactly, and that's yeah. And I never, I never had that ever. I mean, my it was my parents were always open to who we hung out with, mm-hmm. and it was just not just me. It was me, both my brothers. Sure. One of my brothers, other brothers, married to a black woman, and my other brother Drew. He's he's got a great family. And nothing. We've it just it's never been a thing in my family. Sure, it never was. That's great. Um, a, a guy from Boston, mm-hmm. Brookline, right. Now, known to many people as, as a, a player in the music industry right. for many years. Yep. Behind the scenes, too. Where I like And it. in front of the scenes. <laughs> it's weird because it's yeah. like, you, you've had to ex- explain that. Like, how did that even All happen? All right, so what happened, so to, to, we'll get a little bit into it. So uh, how I got into radio in the first place was I, um, 
kind of through this process. I learned how to DJ. I was carrying his crates, et cetera, et cetera. One of the, another lucky break I had was I was able to get a job as a, uh, junior in high school at arguably one of the first lifestyle stores i guess you would call it now it was a sneaker store but it was more like we had adidas suits it was a legendary place in boston called mickey finn's Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and i worked in the in the sneaker department downstairs so kind of through that process i was able to meet all the up-and-coming rappers that were coming through to get their adidas or their adidas suits or whatever it was at the time so i'm in there at the time and having conversations with these guys and uh, seeing what they're doing. And so I'm kind of getting my DJ feet under me. Um, I went through a phase where I was never, I never did the mixtape thing. Um, I, tr- I tried for a little while, but for me, the passion wasn't in it that I think you really need to be into it. My passion was rocking parties and, 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 uh, I liked seeing the crowd reaction. That was kind of why I got into it. Um, and so then, you know, you kind of go through the thing. So I, I did a year of school um, at the University of New Haven on a football scholarship, learned really quickly I wasn't going to the NFL and that I didn't enjoy what being hit. Play? I played wide receiver okay, um, nice. and did not like getting hit, did not like getting up at 4.30 in the morning. But through that process, it's really when I got my DJ legs under me because I DJed all the parties there. I did, you know, Yale parties, SCSU, New Haven, um, dropped out of school, came back home, hit the club circuit. Did well, um, got to a point where the money wasn't coming in like I needed to. And I almost, you know, be honest, I, I almost, I wouldn't necessarily say quit, but I but I was pretty down on myself in terms of the, the progression um, that things were going. Um, had a couple, you know, odd DJ jobs, you know, through the process. Um, and a friend of mine, um, Kareem Ali, was from Brooklyn, actually. He was a promoter in Boston. Um, he since passed, but... He um, he kind of lit the fire on me, man. He said, let's do this one club. And the club ended up becoming the spot called Cosmopolitan, which was arguably probably the biggest urban night that Boston maybe to this day has ever seen, arguably. I mean, there's been some good good nights, but um, it was one of them. And through that, um, there was a girl and a, and a couple people that worked at the um, rhythmic station at the time called Jammin' 94.5, which is still mm-hmm. there. And they frequented a lot. And, you know, we had, you know... Uh, Alan Iverson, Paul Pearson, and 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 uh, Antoine Walker used to always come. They were, they were rookies at the time, and we just—it was all the athletes, and it was you know it was the spot. Um, fast forward, I got a probably a phone call um, from somebody that worked there was reaching out and said, "Hey, would you be interested in doing a, a one-hour mix show on you know Saturday nights at like two a.m.?" And I said, "No." Um, where was this on? This was this was on ninety four five, and and I had done like you know a couple, like in Boston growing up, like ninety four five wasn't it. It was like they were still kind of playing in sync and Britney, and it was you know some hip hop stuff, but they weren't it. We would listen to WILD, um, which is an AM station ten ninety. It's where Stephen Hill was on there, mm-hmm. um, and some legend, you know, Elroy, and some legendary, and but they would go off the air at six o'clock, mm-hmm. and then we'd have a two hour window until eighty eight nine kicked in, which is the college station WERS, and they had a show uh, eighty eight nine at night, which was our hip hop station from eight to eleven. Great hip hop show. Um, so why'd you turn down? I the turned two it down spot? because for me. I was playing Biggie. I was playing Mob Deep. I was playing Tribe Called Quest. I was playing Wu Tang Clan. I wasn't playing the shit that they were playing, and I and I had this very successful night that was going on, and I just was like, I'm not doing that shit. I don't need to do it. So I went home. I told my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, that they had asked me to do it, and I said no. 
And she said, so this is what you're going to do. You're going to call them tomorrow and you're going to apologize. <laughs> and you're going to tell them that you would absolutely love this opportunity to do this one hour show. I'm like, what are you talking about? She was like, because you're not going to continue to keep doing what you're doing, you know, smoking the amount of weed. You know what I'm saying? It was just, it was just that thing. I was, it was, it was, I was doing dumb shit and I was DJing and making a little bit of money. She's like, you're going to take a shot at this. You're not going to be a pussy and you're going to do it. So I did. And I remember leaving the club that Saturday night and listening to my recorded mix on the radio. And I was, I was hooked. I was like, this is it. Mm. And, um, so I took that one hour show, you know, kind of the same story that a lot of these guys have. Right. So one hour show became two hours. It became two hours on Friday and Saturday. Um, then I had the opportunity, um, Clinton Sparks at the time was doing a show on the station on Sunday nights at 10 o'clock or maybe might even been 11 o'clock at the time called Lyrically Boston. And he ended up leaving to go to a new station that had just signed on. So the program director at the time was like, hey, do you want to do this Lyrically Boston show? I have a slot available. And I was like, yes, I would love to do that. I was like, but it was kind of ballsy. I mean, I think about it on time. I was like, would you be cool if I played more than just Boston records? And he was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, I was like, I'm from Boston, born and raised. I was like, I don't think there's that much good Boston stuff that we can fill up a half hour, an hour with. I was like, I'd rather mix it in with the new Jay-Z or the new Nas, and I think people would probably pay more attention to it. Sure. Um, and he was like, yeah, you know what, go for it. Um, and so for me, that was really the start. Um, and the way I kind of designed the show was, it was like we had the local element, obviously, but I wanted it to be somewhere between Stretch and Bob, who were probably my radio idols um, and K Slay show. Cause I wanted to kind of, I wanted to kind of embrace the streets a little bit more. Um, and that's kind of what kind of the show did. And then that one hour show be kind of became two hours and um, it exposed me to, and I, this is where I met the artists and where I met the managers and where I met the labels and um, we were off and running, man. And that's kind of what started it. Um, and then from that point, then they uh, ended up getting, uh, I did nights in, in Boston for 17 years um now were you happy like, oh yeah i loved it like did you i loved it did you have any i wish in- i'd started earlier okay yeah okay. i wish i'd started earlier. so if that's one regret you would say that yeah i mean you know i, I look back at it i'll take i don't have a lot of regrets i just you know i look at a lot of the people that i've come up with and you know kind of in new york right it's it's you know whether or not you took the path or not or whether or not you go to school and then you get an internship and then you end up at a label you become sure, somebody's sure. assistant whatever you're already kind of in the system where i didn't get into the system until probably you know seven to ten years later than a lot of the people that i that i worked with um so yeah so i mean regret no but you know wish i got started maybe a little bit earlier um but yeah you know looking at you know and it was cool you know even even a jam and i remember one story going back to the cosmopolitan thing i remember being a cosmopolitan one night and um it was the first time i this is how i met flex was um one of the other DJs from one of the other stations said, yeah, you know, we're going to have Flex on our radio station this weekend. I was like, oh, that's that's pretty scary. You know what I mean? Being in Boston, have Flex going up against you in the weekend. I was, so I told my program director, and then sure enough, whatever happened within the next 24 hours, he ended up being on our radio station for the next the next day. Ooh, Flex. Yeah, Flex. And so he did, Flex did stuff with us in Boston for, you know, probably five or six years. Like he'd come in like once a month or like on mixer weekends and stuff and you know, do parties up there and stuff. So that's how I first met Flex. Now, yeah. um, you know, we'll get into it, but yeah. you know, you, you were on Power 105 yeah, for, um, sure. for a while. Now, what was your position at Power 105? So I was Power as assistant program, assistant program director and music director. So I came to Power in 08. So I'd been at Jammin'. Uh, I was music director and assistant program director at Jammin'. Um, 
in early 08, my boss at the time, Cadillac Jack, left Jammin to come to power. He might have been 07, but came to power, and then probably he'd been there about six months. He uh, he called and asked me if I'd be willing to come to New York, and after a little while, it, it ended up happening, and it was literally, uh, you know, I finished a show. I was doing the old school at noon on Jammin and finished my show and was on the road to New York, and the press release went but, out, and but you were, went crazy. But you were you were married at the time? Yep, we had married, and I just had a, I had a three year old and a one year old. And did you ha- did you think that over? Like, yeah. Okay. Well, here's what I so Cadillac asked me. He said, uh, I, I think the conversation went somewhere along the lines of, you know, what would it take to get you to New York? And I was excited, but at the same time, was very realistic. We had just bought a house. Um, I was like, well, I said, let me let me talk to my wife and let me figure it out. So me and my wife sat sat we sat down. We kind of made a list of everything that I would need, everything from, you know, salary and kind of prorated it against the cost of living in Boston and New York and, and corporate housing and I would need time and whatever. And I sent it to him and I remember he hit me back. He's, he was like, he always, he used to always go, he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't know if we'll be able to do all this. And I was like, cool. I understand if things change, let me know. Slightly disappointed, but it had to be, it had so to be had, right you, for my family. I had exactly. a one year old, three year old. I couldn't, I couldn't fuck around at that point. And um, then sure enough, man, so we thought it was completely off the table. Um, six weeks later, maybe, he literally hit me and said, I think we can make this happen. He was like, how soon can you do it? I was like, well, let me talk. And then probably the following week, they announced it, and, uh, and I came to New York. Now, let me ask you something. With, yeah. Okay, that, that's an amazing uh, segue because you sit down with your wife. Yep. You know, uh, you go over everything, and you put together what would work for you to do yep. it. Just did that, and we just went through this again, but yeah. No, but think had, about mm-hmm. that, right? So that, 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 that's some man shit. That's some family mm-hmm. shit. Um, did, did you put, like, like making, you know, making that deal, did you put enough in there where you felt that you were, you know, happy with? Yes. Okay. So financially, it's twofold, right? Because there's the finance part of your life, right? And then for me, something that's always been important, it was important then, it's really been even more important over the past five to seven years is quality of life. Like what's my quality of life going to look like? And I don't know what that price tag looks like. Is that worth a hundred thousand dollars? Is it worth a million dollars? I don't know. And you never, you never, never did this, but well, is this, no, this is the first time I'd ever done this. That's what I'm saying. So what I well, and I'll tell you because it's so fun. I just had to talk with my assistants the other day about the process for me is that I made two columns. I made pros and I made cons. I know it sounds simple, but that's what we did. We made the pros. These are what's good about the new situation. This is what's bad about the new situation. We took a step back. We looked at it. The pros were more than the cons. And we came up with a plan. And, you know, one of those plans was actually I needed corporate housing for six months because we had just bought a house. We had to figure it. And this was in a wait. Market dead. True. Housing market crashes. Yeah. <laughs> Our house isn't worth a quarter of what it was when we bought it for. Um so we had to figure that out. Like, are we going to rent the house? Can we find somebody to live in it? Are we going to sell it? What are we going to do? Um, so one of the things was I negotiated. I had corporate housing in my deal. I was living in Jersey City for the first four, mo- uh, first three months of my employment. So being away from my one-year-old and my three-year-old. And keep in mind, we didn't have FaceTime or anything back then. So that was that was difficult. That was a hard part. They would come down on weekends or I would shoot up. Um, but the blessing was, kind of coming out of that, is that, I didn't have to worry about driving. I lived right across the street, right across the river from the station. I was able to go out. I was able to get in the clubs. I was able to get the vibe of the city. I was trying to, I was able to figure out what, in my mind, the station needed to kind of get the swag going. 
Um, so that was the blessing of kind of being away from my family during that time. But yeah, so, you know, you really have to take a step back and look at it um, from the pros and cons. You know, you you basically, one thing, you travel, mm-hmm. well, if not, I'm not meaning travel now. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about you traveled a lot when you were at Power to go home too, right? After oh, what? yeah, yeah. What was that, like a two-hour ride? Oh, uh, well, 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 when I was going to, well, we ended up moving to Stanford, which I've been since 09, let's say. But yes, there was a, there was a time when I was driving back and forth to Boston quite a bit, yeah. And then I still had a home up there, and I still a lot of my friends were up there, and I was still doing parties up there, and I was still doing jamming. So I was doing a lot of their events. So it was, yes, there was Sacrifice. a lot of driving back and forth. Yeah, it, it, yeah. it goes to show you. Because I was on both stations. I wasn't just on Power. I was also still doing my radio show in Boston, but I was just recording it from New York. Mm. So there was sales promotions and parties I had a DJ and station events that you know we had to work out walk us through like your first week at at, power at power (laughs) wow um so it was a little well the first day was insane actually um i got there around um two three o'clock um it was a little bit of a big deal within the industry because i had had a lot of relationships and i didn't know the only people i knew at power at the time were i knew clue Mm -hmm. um and i knew deja vu because deja was doing middays with us um in boston she was voice tracking it from there so she had come up to a couple stations events and we we had hung out a little bit um but really outside of that i didn't really have that many good relationships i knew ed but i i you know, we knew each Which other. Which was the morning show? Ed Level was. Ed the morning was the morning show, show at the time. At the time. Uh, Deja Vu was doing afternoons. No, Deja was doing middays. I think. Um, I think we had Malika Millette was doing. Um, oh no, Steph Lover was doing afternoons. Uh, Clue was doing nights, and then Cherry Martinez, who I knew from Boston. Cherry, I knew Cherry. Uh, Cherry was doing late nights. Where is Cherry now? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I'd, I've seen some stuff. I think she has a, she might have an internet show actually. Um, great, uh, super talented. Like one, one of the, the most best. sexiest voices. Yeah. In the game. Listen, uh, man, please. Her, her, her late night show. My God, man, it's crazy. But she was even great when she was on ERS. Like I knew her from 88, nine. That mm-hmm. was the first time I met her. I remember bringing her records. Um, so my, but my first day I got there and kind of doing the paperwork and whatever. And then I go just kind of sit down in my new office and I'm like, you know, I should really check and make sure that they scheduled the music for the next day. And sure enough, I look and there's nothing in the system. It is bare. And kind of anybody that knows or doesn't know. So you create these things called music logs and then you have to upload said log. And then the log goes over the airways and it's all the music you hear. Um, <laughs> not only was the not only was the log not loaded, but there was the database was virtually empty. Now, I don't know if it was the person on the way out or if it just, it, she was doing a different system than I was, but it was literally like looking at hieroglyphics. I had no idea how their system worked. I knew how it's this thing called selector. I'd, I was a master selector. I got that part of it, but everybody has different ways of doing things. So I literally had to sit down there for about the first six hours, five or six hours on the job. Um, and kind of recreate this thing, not to sound overly nerdy, but it was it was a thing. Sure. Um, and then sure enough, at 11 o'clock, I hit export and we crossed our fingers and prayed that it would upload and it did. So that was my first day on the job. Uh, next day, you know, Ed comes in. He was great. Had a great conversation. Uh, I was working with Molly at the time, which, you know, for me mm-hmm. is... Mm-hmm. You know, he's on my list of, you know, greatest DJ slash producers of all time. So Molly Mall? Yeah, for sure. Most hands down amazing. one of the most not not only amazing, one of the most underappreciated uh 
producers like you know when they go to you know best hip hop producers all times like Molly's got to be in the top sure, three sure. like he's got to be in the conversation because none of this exists yeah without Molly to a degree he introduced um, a whole new sound to us absolutely um so that was so you know so that, the first thing you know what I mean and then kind of just getting to know the staff and then um dealing with different label reps because the way it's set up in radio it's like you have your top 40 staffs and you have your rhythmic staffs and you have your urban staffs so and I'll tell you kind of go back a little bit to something we discussed earlier it was really actually the first time though um that i kind of felt from some of the urban radio uh, label guys they were looking at me like who's this white boy mm. like that's I, that was really the first time i kind of actually felt it now not all of them mm-hmm. a lot of them i had relationships with it was cool but there was there was definitely a undertone there um they, but it ended up being the, the the best thing for me because what ended up happening was my boss Cadillac, he um unbelievable programmer, great programmer, but he didn't want to he didn't really ever play the label game too much. Like he didn't want to deal with the staffs and the managers and, and that. So it enabled me to kind of get in there, have those tough conversations about records, have those tough conversations about you know uh, call out and what's looking good and what's not looking good, and and establishing my own relationships with all these you know new guys which is great do you think that's how it broke like say the ice of them thinking like man who, who's this yeah because they knew they and by the way i knew and i'm not saying i i knew more than most of them but i i had a direct connect with a lot of their artists so i would hear records before they would hear sure. like they knew when they came to me and they were looking for information then i knew exactly what i was talking about um and i and i didn't sugarcoat it and i've always been um i've always kind of prided myself on being um honest and and not telling what you, what you want to hear you know what i mean i'm going to give you the real information on your record because that's just going to help us both out sure. at the end of the day um so yeah so I, I think i did gain a lot of respect from them um through that process now you, now how long until the ed lover show was was uh, what canceled you would say um so i oh eight i think breakfast club we started in 20 um 2010 2010 yeah um so kind of through and I, I kind of just go through it so the first thing i kind of noticed a little bit was um power was just kind of stuck in this weird little place is that there were a lot of extremely talented professional people working there but it didn't seem like there was any sort of winning mentality or that people wanted to kind of go get it it was kind of like people were kind of they had settled in their spots and you know um I think at that point when I got there, I think Star had probably been off for about a year, year and a half. Um, so a lot of that Hot 97 power conversation to kind of died down a little bit. And it was, I, I kind of just felt like, the, the, you know, the staff for the most part was pretty complacent uh, with Hot kind of just um, winning at that point. Um, so I felt, you know, we kind of needed to shake it up a little bit. Um, well before ed like you know i i I thought bringing self in was going to be important because he kind of he was doing all the clubs at the time he was doing all the streets was that the first person he was the first person that i brought in yeah and and i tried i tried to get i tried to get sife sife was the first one that we cypher sound cypher sound we wanted sife to do um i think pm drive at one point he was on he was on it hot with rosenberg but they had put on a big boy in the morning Mm -hmm. from la and i thought they were being a little bit I, I've always thought Cypher's one of the most talented people that I've ever met in my life. Why, funny. why do you say that? He's just funny, man. He's a, he's a, he's a good sound on the radio. Um, he's got great relationships. He's got great history. And I thought they were underutilizing him. Um, it didn't end up working out. He ended up 
you know, kind of letting them know that we were coming after, and th- I think they did the smart thing at the time. And he was parlayed. Yeah, 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 yeah. He parlayed it into something bigger, um, which was fine. I mean, that's how the game's supposed to be played. But then, so then after that, so then it was self. So how did self happen? You- self happened because I was in the clubs every single night, and he was at every single party that I went to. He was de- he was DJing every single thing. Um, and I knew we had to have him and I, he had had a, a quick moment on power that didn't work out, whatever. And, um, and I introduced him to our, our PD Cadillac and he loved him. He was like, yeah, let's find, let's find a way to get him on the air. Um, so, so when you were the assistant, uh, program director, yep. Cadillac, uh, didn't he leave after a while? He did. He left, uh, in 2014, I think, or 2013 to 2014, 14, I think, and Thea Mitchell came in from, she was in D.C. Did you actually want the program director? Yeah. Spot? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Were you, um, were you upset? You know? Yeah, you know what? I, I, Not, I, well, I mean, you know upset what? is Yeah, no, I was. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 was, it was actually the second time that I'd gone for it. So what happened was there had been a point where Cadillac was going back to Boston, and I had... Um, I had been up for the job um, and interviewed for it, and then Cadillac decided that he wasn't going to go to Boston, he was going to stay. So that was kind of the, my first um, kind of thing, being in the system, like whether or not it's going to happen or not. So when Cadillac left, I just, I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, I, I had, you know, talked to all the SVPs, and I had interviewed, and it was kind of coming down, at least as far as I know, to me or one other, of, one other programmer, um, and it ended up being Thea. And I knew Thea... Um, from from being because she worked she worked at iHeart, um, but I didn't know know her. Um, so I was I was giving it a chance. I was like, well, let's see what happens. I've heard great things about her. I know she's she's a go getter. And what I loved about her was that, and this, everybody had told me this, like she fights for her team. Mm. Where Cadillac was a little bit more laid back, and I was doing all the fighting. I was being the bad guy more than often. Mm. And so when she came in, I was no longer the only one fighting that fight. <laughs> with the labels and and things, and so uh, she was actually the best thing programming wise that ever happened to me at the station. Mm. Yeah, she was great, and the timing was phenomenal when she came in. So, so when when you talk so, about bringing on somebody oh, sorry, like I, DJ I, Cell, yeah, did you want me to? Uh, yeah, well, do you, I'll go back to the Ed thing if you want me to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah so with, with Ed was, um, we tried to do a couple. The show was doing okay; it wasn't doing spectacular. Um, we tried to put a couple other. Um, co-host on with him i think we, we had put malika millet in there and then we had done um uh we brought free in from 106 and park free and him were co-hosting for a while um and i think look the show was fine like you know i heard ed on on somebody's podcast saying that you know the show was doing great i would say it was doing fine i don't think it was doing great um but what does that mean great what it, does that mean fine it, well i would say the show was probably you know it was anywhere between eight and three was a top three? No. Um, were there spurts? Would you get top three? Yeah, for sure. But, you know, for me, it was twofold. One, it was worth keeping Ed because what he meant to hip hop and what he meant to New York City. There was no doubting that. And if we were going to make the change, it needed to be something that was completely fresh, completely new, and that was going to change the game. Um, and so we went through, we talked about it. We talked about, again, pros and cons, right? So what, what are the pros in doing this? Well, we shake it up. We start fresh. We wipe the slate clean. We start from mornings up and, and we, we try to kind of do a whole new thing. Um, 
you know, one of the more, you know, we discussed having meth and red on in the morning. Mm. That was a conversation. Really? Yeah. We talked about that. It never got Did to Did you the, ever reach out to them? Or? No, I never got to that point because, you know, kind of through our feelers, it was like, you know, are we really going to get meth and red up at eight o'clock, you know, at 4.30 every morning to come in and do a morning show, you know, and, and whether or not that could have happened, I don't know. But that was something that we discussed. Um, there was a lot of like little things like that. Other morning shows in other markets we looked at, but you know, Envy, Envy actually had already been, Envy came over from hot. So Envy, we already had on the air at the time. Uh, he was doing PM drive for us and he was, Envy was. So for was, a while, yeah. Power 105 had no morning show. No. After it, you got rid of. After, no, after, no, okay. no. We brought them right in. Yeah, no, we, um, you know, and one thing I, I will say, I wish we had done different um, in retrospect um, is that I wish we'd kind of let Ed do a last show. Um there's kind of a couple of ways of thinking about it in, in the, uh, in the radio world is, you know, one of them is kind of just pull the bandaid off and, you know, just get, get it over with. Um, and then we ended up choosing, choosing that method in retrospect. I kind of, I it, wish, I wish we had gone about it another way. And, um, and when you say give Ed, uh, um, well, yeah, know, to like, say goodbye or yeah, say, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, you know, it, and again, I don't, I don't think any of us, well, I, you know, and I'm just going to speak for myself. I don't, I didn't, Ed was going to be fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not like Ed is going away and Ed is never going to do radio again. Ed is Ed is the reason I'm here. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? If, if Why do you Ed, say that? Because if you're in hip hop and you're in media, none of us are here without Ed Lover. Sure. It's not happening. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is somebody that, that was the hardest day ever for me in radio, hands down. Um, and I wasn't even there when it happened because my fucking train got stuck on 125th street that day. Thank God. And I literally am walking in the boat. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I felt you. like a pussy a little bit because I'm walking as I'm walking in the building, he's coming off the elevator with the HR person. He couldn't have been, he couldn't have, he couldn't have been nicer. He was like, I enjoyed my time working with you, you know, and kept it moving. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't think any of us are here doing what we're doing if it's not for Ed and the you know, TV raps and what that meant. Sure, and everything you know? he contributed. Of course. Um, so, yeah, so that was a hard, that was a hard day. Um, I felt like what we were putting together with the Breakfast Club had a shot. Um, I but, knew. But, I, but did you, who, how did the Breakfast Club okay. even come up? Like, meaning like. Did, did, yeah, we're jumping around. So the Breakfast Club came in twofold. So I, one of the first people, another going that I wanted to hire early on was Angela. Um, she was doing serious mornings um, on Shade 45. But why'd you want to hire her? Because I, I, from the day that I heard her on the radio and saw how connected she was with the culture and how smart she was, I was like, she would be awesome on my radio station. She's a winner. She's connected. People like her, and she's good at what she does. So I wanted her to come over and do weekends. Um, that didn't happen the first time around. Um, I don't think Paul, I don't, well, the people at Shade 45, where it was at the time, I don't think was overly excited about her. Leaving. Leave. Well, not even necessarily leaving, but th- that was, she. I get it. She was doing mornings. I mean, I mean that's that's a big yeah, deal over to there. To leave for weekends. Absolutely. Um, and I wasn't even asking her to leave to do, I just wanted to do both. But, um, so we had talked, and then Charlemagne reached out to me. I think Joey IE put him in touch with me. Um, he had just left Philly. Shout out to Joey IE. Shout out to my guy, Joey. Um, and I think Jay Grand was involved with it possibly as well. And so Charlemagne came and met me with his, um, and I was like, yeah, come, let's have lunch. Let's just talk. I mean, I don't have anything for you right now, but let's have a conversation. I knew he was, I knew the reputation. Sure. So I was like, yeah, man, why not? Shits and giggles. Let's have a meeting. 
So we went, we had sushi. It was uh, me, him, and his manager, Kevin, uh, Wendy's husband at the time. Kevin Hunter. Kevin Hunter. And uh, we had an amazing conversation. And he was smart, articulate. He was a radio nerd like I was. Like, he he got it. Um, and I left the meeting, and I went back to Cadillac. I was like, man, the Charlemagne guy is special. And what was his response? Um, he was like, well, we, again, he, you know, he's saying kind of the same thing. He was like, well, we don't have anything for him right now, but, you know, just keep it in the back of our minds. What I did tell Cadillac, though, and what I did tell Charlemagne was, I was like, look, and Charlemagne hit me with a follow-up, you know, nice to meet you, whatever, played it right. And I was like, listen, love to work with you. That guy's your manager probably won't happen. Got a bad vibe from the Kevin guy from the start. Um, he was like, nope, I get it. Cool. Timing wise, probably two months later, three months later, we kind of made the decision that we had to do something in the mornings to kind of just jumpstart the station. And it wasn't, by the way, it wasn't just mornings. We kind of had to start fresh a little bit across the board and mornings being one of them. And so we kind of started kind of figuring out what it was going to be. So Cadillac met with Angela, Charlemagne, right around the same time, had, I think, had parted ways with Kevin. Um, but, but one second, with mm-hmm. Kevin, you yep. know, Wendy Williams' uh, mm-hmm. husband, you know, why do you, I don't, I'm not trying to start anything, mm-hmm. but why do you feel that he was, uh, you know, um, a For, bad vibe? Meaning mm-hmm. because he does, I know he does like probably uh, control the Wendy Williams show, which yeah. is very successful. Yeah. Um, I just felt like it, it was, he was very hands on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're coming into that environment, when you're building something, uh, especially with three new talents, we have a very clear vision of how we want our morning show sure. to go and we need everybody to be on the same page. And I, you know, and again, after only meeting him once, I got a pretty good judge of character. I was like, I can see that being a four man morning show, sure. not a three man morning show. And so for me, I was just like, mm, not feeling it. Did you, did you guys have the breakfast club idea ready? No. Like did the name? No, God, okay. no. We had okay. so many bad names. Okay, so, so, well, yeah, like, so what, what was some right, of the names? Right, so then, so, what was, so, what was well, some let me, let me, I'll get okay, that in a second. Yeah. So, so we got, um, talked to Angela. She was, they, she was actually up to do morning radio in Philly. I think at the station, Charlemagne might have just left. They were pressing her. Um, and so it was a lot of things happening once. Got Angela on board, got Charlemagne on board. We needed, you know, we believed it needed to be a three-man show and we needed somebody in New York and somebody that was a DJ. And we were like, Envy would be perfect to be the person, the middleman on that show. Perfect for it. Problem was, Envy didn't want to do it. He wanted nothing to do with it. Envy had done mornings already at Hot. Um, he was there he through the whole gig. Su- sweet gig, but he was there through the tsunami thing. He was doing great in PM Drive. And he knew Charlemagne. And he knew, you know, and he was like, look, I'm not getting in trouble or getting fired for shit that these guys do, you know, and I got it. Um, eventually we broke him down and I, I think he probably, although I didn't see it, he probably had something contracted and said, you know, you know, if so-and-so happens, I'm safe. Um, but we got him on board. Um, and then we went through a ton of names. It was like three the hard way, uh, the big three. Um, Charlemagne had a couple terrible ones. God, I can't even remember what they were. But no, we went, we talked about it for two or three days. And then I like to think that I said it, but, it, you know, somebody might argue. Um, I just thought we were overthinking. Said what? The Breakfast Club? I, I said The Breakfast Club. I think I said it. Maybe mm-hmm. not. Maybe, now, maybe you- somebody else will take credit. But I just thought we were just overthinking it. You know what I mean? I was like. 
you know, I knew the movie. I thought. Did I, you guys have any problems from that movie? No, believe it or not, no. I think there was one other morning show in San Francisco that was using um, the Breakfast Club. But also keep in mind, this was also a little bit before the explosion of the internet. Like sure. it was out there, but there weren't podcasts. There weren't, uh, sure. you know, people weren't posting videos of full-length interviews sure. online or well, anything like that. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, and there may have been something, you know, legal behind the scenes at iHeart that I wasn't aware of, but, um, and that was it. And then we put them on, we put them on the air on a snowy Saturday morning. We didn't even put them on a judicial, just to test them out. Let's see what this is. And it was terrible. Oh, God, it was so Why bad. Why do you say it was terrible? It just, there was, there talking over each other and nobody's the leader and you know Charlemagne's kind of funny but the other two aren't they got like nervous laughter it was, I mean it just it wasn't good it wasn't a good radio show there was no continuity to it um that being said I still was like we're gonna we're gonna work this and 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 we also had a new producer I mean it was it was all new um and it was probably the feeling out process I would say for them Charlemagne thinks it was a little longer. I, I thought that they started to kick in about three or four months in. Mm. Now, Envy will tell you that we were looking where there was, we were at one point where we were like, shit, this isn't going to work out. We got to blow the whole thing up again. That never got on my radar. And, and he, you know, he thinks a lot. Nobody ever came to me and said, you know, this is it. Um, because what I, what I got through this whole time when the, when the show was struggling and kind of going through the process is that, I'm noticing though the streets are talking because they're so active on social media. They were all three of them to a degree, especially, you know, Charlamagne and Angela were on Twitter before people were posting these full length videos that nobody's really doing at the time. Sure. Right. You know, I, and I'm not going to say give them total credit for the podcast explosion, but I would say they were really the first urban full length interview podcast thing that i can remember you mean breakfast club yeah i mean yeah. they were posting interviews of these full-length things kind of before anybody um and then also i mean i don't know if you remember but we also used to do these kind of mix and mingles with a lot of the blog people so whether or not it was um you know media takeout or uh, rap radar yep, or yep, yep. all these things like we we would do like thursdays after work you know come meet meet the breakfast club and hang out and meet, meet the, you know and it was kind of just a mix and mingle so these circles were kind of building, and they all, they kind of individually had their own great networks. Um, Is that when you knew that the Breakfast Club had something? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then the Ray J interview was the one that took it over. Oh, when he was high and yeah. shit. Yeah. And that one, when that exploded, um, kind of across the universe, not just you know on YouTube, but every blog picked it sure, up. And, sure. and that's really when I said, okay. You know, one this question. Is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is something. One question is, first of all, um, I love Charlemagne. Mm -hmm. um, he's a friend, friend mm -hmm. of mine, friend mm -hmm. of ours. Friend of ours. Forget about it. Forget about it. You know, I think people, first of all, as a as an assistant program director, mm -hmm. I always felt like, yo, you know one thing I credit you guys? Giving Charlemagne mm -hmm. an opportunity to be himself. Had to. Was that ever a chance where you was worried he may say something crazy? Yeah, every day. But, you did know. You, did you tell him, like, yo, let it fly and go work? We never told him not to. Mm. Um, I mean, yes. Were there times when probably we would have conversations and say, you know, it, it could be everything along the lines of if they're delivering a story or if he's reporting on a story or if he has an opinion on a story. But, you know, you know, it, it, it could make sure you cite your sources. You know, but one thing about Charlemagne is that I've never had to worry about. He's analytical in the way he's breaking you down, whether or not it's donkey of the day or whatever, he's not throwing an opinion out just because that's his opinion. He generally has some facts to back up his opinion. There's a real argument there. Um, 
so I would tell you, man, and through the, you know, seven years or whatever that I worked with him, there might have been two or three times when it was like, eh, I didn't really like that. Let's pull that back. You know what I mean? Like, it was very, very slim, um, which, you know, is amazing, you know, especially given, you know, what he is, you yeah. know, and, what, and, how he, and how he goes about his business. But here's, but here's the other thing, too, that I will say about them as a trio um, that I don't think they get enough credit for even now being in whatever 70 markets or whatever they're in, they're a very smart morning show. Like we hear about kind of the, the gossipy and the drama, but I, I, I think it's, there are three extremely smart people in that room. You know, Envy went to Hampton University, is arguably top three, top five greatest mix show, I mean, uh, 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 mixtape DJs of all time, right? Mm-hmm. Well-spoken, has done his work in New York City, Angela Wesleyan University, um, you know, a writer, manager, you know, super th- relationships, th- super relationships, queen of little, you know, of media hip hop in my sure. mind. Um, and then Charlemagne, who I think blows everybody away when you really sit down and have a full, you know, full conversation with him and realize like how smart he is. Um, and by the way, I think New York's spoiled in that sense. And I don't think people realize that because. And and I have no problem saying it. I think the the morning show at Hot ninety seven is very smart too. You got three extremely smart individuals over there as well. So you, you know, mean like Ebro? Yeah, Ebro and, and Rosenberg and Laura. I mean, she's a. I tried to hire her at one point. Really? For yeah, what? Absolutely. I wanted to do weekends as well. When I couldn't get Angela, I was like, maybe I get Laura. Um, but she, had, I think she had gone to the um, serious. No, she was she was doing that. But I think she went to the um, other pop station for a little while before she CBS station. So you didn't yeah. you. Didn't didn't feed into like that radio beef like meaning like so and, and this goes back to saying mm-hmm. did you stay cool with flex all this time no well yes and no all right so go back to flex a little bit so flex when he when he was doing the things in boston i was talking about earlier he actually lit the fire under me because this is when the dj crews were really taking off and he was organizing the big dog pit bulls and enough mm-hmm. had the heavy hitters whatever and so i was the dj in boston at the time i'm feeling good i'm like i'm gonna be a big dog pit bull nope he hired the other DJ at my station. And I was I was a little heartbroken. I was like, shit, like Cypher and Khaled and these guys are relationship. Like, I'm not a big dog. And I told him this story. And I was like, but it but it added the fire. Like my motivation at that point was on a hundred. I was like, okay, I'm not gonna be a big dog pit bull. Great. And it was funny because Slay at the time was doing his street sweeper. So I became a street sweeper. Like, fuck that. Mm, mm. But yeah, but so Flex when I uh when I first when I first uh, when I first got the night job in Boston, he sent me a long text on the T-Mobile, whatever you know. Congratulations, your life's about to change. It was it was super cool. When I got to New York, he didn't address me at all. It was actually strangely quiet for a while, and I was like, okay, this is about to heat up. Then he started taking little shots itself on the air. And then he was starting to poke me a little bit. He said something along the lines of, you know, I'm going to have you back on. 95 in a bus you know it was a kid from boston <laughs> we would never say my name we talked about this and then um we took a party from him it was a jamie fox right when blame it had come out and jamie was smoking hot i remember we did a party at m2 that i know that he wanted and i think that was it and it was right around this time because it was around halloween because i was back home in boston trick-or-treating with the kids and I got back home and my phone was going crazy. And they're like, yo, Flex is killing you on the radio right now. I'm like, what do you mean? 
They were like, yo, he's going in. I, I think Akon was there at the time who I had a really good relationship with. And Flex finally, he was just, you know, heard you with DJ and a Jamie Foxx party. It was like, I think it was me and Clue. And he was like, uh, you know, in your gingerbread suit, you know, just doing it the way Flex can, right? And then he finally said, don't think I'm not, don't think I'm not going to say your name either, G-Spin. And when I heard that, dude, I was so fucking happy. It was like. You made it? Oh, of course, man. Like, how can you look at it any way different? You know what I mean? mean? Oh, my God. I I finally got called out by name. Um, because, you know, I always laugh at that. Like, you know, in terms of like, you know, Flex calls out programmers or whatever. It's like, man, nobody knows who these people are, Flex. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the radio wars. I mean, look, man, it's you know how it is, man. You got to you got to clear the air every couple of years. And, um, you know, I didn't have any problem with it. I enjoyed it up to a point. I think once families and personal shit got into it, I didn't like that. Um, I think probably both sides stepped over the line at points um but yeah i think everything in terms of on the air is fair game mm. flex hogan yeah well i mean come on i mean that was i mean how amazing was that? i mean that's what i'm saying about charlemagne though it's like he will take that fuel and he will double down and he will have video to go with it and he's strategic with that stuff man yeah. it's and he's pretty amazing at that you know what, man? It's uh, let's take a quick break. Sure. Come back. Um, I want to talk about another New York icon that um, Mrs. Angie Martinez Ugh, the and best. how and how that happened. Sure. Yo, gee, you know it's so funny. Uh, be, DJing in front of the light, mm-hmm. music industry behind the light. Yep. But you know, people don't know how much work goes into that. People look for people to be in front to think they're working uh, all the time. I, and I don't like being in front. This is this is this is as in front as I've been in a long time. Well, hey, listen, Internet, you listen to G Spin on the Premium P Show. We'll be right back. Don't go nowhere. Cheer. You. Yep, Charlemagne the God here, the Prime Minister of pissing people off, the ruler of rubbing you the wrong way, the architect of aggravation. And right now, I'm with my guy, my man, Premium Pete, on the Premium P Show. Okay, Internet, tune the fuck in. Peace. Internet, and we're back sitting here with the one and only G Spin. The internets. Listen, G Spin. I like talk- the. I love the. I like the internets. Man, I'm the, actually going to be very curious to, to hear the feedback from the internets. Well, I'm, hey, I deal with right, you know terrestrial listeners, not the internet listeners. So it's going to be interesting to hear their. Fe- Who is your audience, by the way? Uh, Doing my, you know, probably people in uh, Amish, you know, and, and, and <laughs> that don't have any. A lot of Amish li- listening, especially yeah. Central Pennsylvania. <laughs> you know, I'm sure, they're all over. The I'm going to come over there and hang out with them. Pizza. Absolutely. <laughs> Now, listen, my audience yep. is good people, man. I, you know, um, for years been podcasting. Mm-hmm. You know, in 2010, when we did the Combat Jack show, yep. you know, I feel like that also was one of the first beginning uh, long-form podcasts. It was the first too. one that I picked, the first one that caught my eye. Yeah. Um, and I remember you always showing love. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, and it was so good. Man. I, and I, um, you know, obviously, I got to pass my love along to Reggie. Sure. Um, you know, pulling for him, obviously. Um but it, it was, um, for me, you know, the two of you had a good chemistry, smart questions. Um, and, and, and for me, the thing that brought it to light and that I realized was it was, it was where it was so different from terrestrial where you have to squeeze everything into these short pockets is that you could literally just, you know, as we are now, you could just have these hour-long conversations, which is much more appealing to the ear. Uh, and much more entertaining. It makes time go by so much faster than these short, condensed three to five minute breaks. 
sandwiched between songs, commercials, wait for the next part to come along. So, um, yeah, no, you guys were at the forefront of that. And, and, and you know, still in both in your own little sure. ways now, man, it's still, um, you know, some of the best for it, sure. It's amazing to see yeah. where it has come to. Yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I seen someone today uh, in Low East Side. I was with my daughter and he was like, you know, t- basically telling me like, yo, I used to see you on the Dallas Penn blog. Yeah. You paved the way for some podcast <laughs> and hip hop. Well, I mean, you, I think you did in a, in, a, in a way. And, and you know, look, I, there are a lot of them now. Sure. Um, so kind of you have to pick and choose and kind of find what you, what your cup of tea is. Well, let me ask uh, you, mm-hmm. what are you listening to? Uh, I listen to you, Combat. Um, I like what... Um, I like what Elliot and them are doing at Title. Okay, um, right. I love what um, the Complex guys are doing with Blueprint. I think mm. that's phenomenal. Oh, Noah, yeah, yeah, with Noah and them are doing. And the reason I like that is just it's um it's it's a little shorter, um, and it's it's kind of dealing with a lot of people. It feels like me a little bit in the sense it's a little bit more of the behind the scenes people, which I find interesting. Sure. Um, but I'll listen to anything like stuff on NPR or. Um, God, what was there was this one podcast I listened to that Michael Rapino from Live Nation was doing that I thought was phenomenal. Um, I, I you know I kind of jump around, man, but there, there's brilliant idiots I like. Sure, you know, I mean, I can listen to that. Um, Bill Simmons podcast I like. Fresh Boston guy, um, you know. So I, yeah, I jump around, man. It could be anything. You know, when you think about the Breakfast Club, mm-hmm. uh, before we went to break, we yep. talked about the Breakfast Club. You know how it came together and everything. I tell you, how long does a business for people who don't know? How long does a business give a morning show to make it? Um, I mean, some would argue that you know, there's some companies that have given morning shows too long, and then some that haven't given them long enough. I, you know, I don't know if there's really an answer to it. I, I think that you know, part of it's economics, right? So, I mean, if you have a morning show that isn't performing well and advertisers aren't paying money, well, that's the reason not to have them on. Mm. Um, you know, I always kind of said to them that you know. Even kind of what we were talking about when they were kind of just learning and getting their feet under them and, and there was things going on um, on the Internet and they were, you know, social media heavy. I just told them, I said, you keep working with the sales team, like do appearances, do, you know, do everything that they ask you to do, because as long as you're still making the company money, you're OK. <laughs> you know what I mean? If they can, you know, if you see Angela, I mean, she's on so many different, uh, you know, sponsorships and stuff. If she... um you know, as long as you keep making the company money, man, they'll, they'll they'll keep you around. Once once that stops, then you know you got some problems. One of the most legendary things I think uh, was the the Queen, yeah, Angie Martinez leaving Hot ninety seven, yep, and coming to Power one hundred five. That was a special moment. Now you orchestrated that. No, I did not. Okay, so well, there you go. Thanks no. for telling me that. Um, I would love to take all the credit for, it, but the the reality is, I can actually own a very little piece of it. Um, you know, we do these things at radio stations called, um, you know, studies or perceptuals and, you know, we test personalities within our own station and within other stations. And of course you would imagine you test Angie Martinez in New York, guess who's always going to be pretty much number one. Um, so there'd always been talks. I mean, since I'd been there the first day, like, you know, is Angie accessible? Can we get Angie over here? Is it possible? And they always, the answer kind of was no, 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 no. Um, one thing I kind of loved about, and I love about Thea is that, you know, you know, she doesn't play from that mentality as neither do I is that, you know, well, let's at least give it a shot. Let's ask the question. Um, so the only credit that I can really take from that situation was um, is that Angie and, you know, Angie and I were very friendly. We had a lot of mutual friends. There was a mutual friend of mine after one of these tests that I asked. I said, hey, do me a favor. Just ask Angie what her contract situation is. You know, if she gives you an answer, cool. If not, I get it. 
you know, I don't want to put you in a weird situation, but if you get around to it, ask her, whatever. I guess he did ask her. I hear nothing else. Radio silence. And timing-wise, I might get this a little screwy, but let's just say summer of that year. Um, Thea calls me into her office, sits me down, and says, so just want to let you know, looks like we're going to get Angie. To my first response was, Angie who? <laughs> she was like, Angie, Angie, I was like, get the fuck out of here. Like, did not believe her. Thought she was playing a joke on me. Because, number one, how? Number two, you hear everything in this industry. Like, nothing goes that quiet, ever. The other thing I love about the is she is a vault. One of the most trustworthy. Talk about the program director. The program, she is a vault. That shit went nowhere. Hardest secret I've ever kept in my life. True story. I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't tell anybody. Um, because I knew that one couldn't get out. Um, and she was like, yep, we're close. She's coming over to the, you know, they had been working behind the scenes. Angie had been, they'd been meeting at hotel rooms and, you know, back. I mean, they had been just the two of them working this whole amazing thing. Um, and then it finally happened. And, you know, again, nobody knew. And I remember I came in and, uh, it was really important, obviously, for Angie that she go about it the right way on her end. Respectable. Absolutely. Um, and again, it kind of, kind of through that process, man, it, it, you know, it's why I brought up the thing about Ed earlier. I kind of wish in retrospect we'd done that process a little different. Um, but, you know, we had to, Angie, you know, had to tell the people that she had to tell first. Um, and she did. And then she um, and Thea and I, we were we were sitting in our office, like literally waiting for the green light because we had to handle some business on our end as well. Um, and got the text, you know, it's done, da da da. Um, and so Thea told me to go in and get the Breakfast Club. So the Breakfast Club, at the time, they actually the day they were doing a J Lo interview. <clears throat> J-Lo, I think, was running a couple minutes late, so we had a little bit of a window, and I brought them in and sat them down, and Thea told them, and you thought my reaction was great. None of them believed it. Like, like to a point where Thea got, like, even a little bit, like, irritated, like, look, motherfuckers, like, no, I'm serious. And then it was just like, you know, you thought a bomb went off in, in the studio. Because we knew what it meant. You sure. know what I mean? It was... it was Powerful. Yeah, man, and we we, you know it was time for us to do a little bit of a victory dance, you know, and, and, you know, and through the years, you know, and, and at that point we had been doing great in the rating, you know, we'd been, we'd bounced back. It felt like the swag was back, but that was, that was LeBron. You know, that was something that, that we needed to kind of get in the building. Um, and we knew what it was going to mean, especially, you know, in the world of social media and, and how people talk. So yeah, that was a win for us for sure. And she's, and you know, she was awesome. I mean, yeah. she, uh, it was funny. I went out to, uh, I went out to eat with her. I went to have dinner with her that night in Jersey, and just uh, yeah, I, w- I was so I was super excited. She's one of my idols. It, it was so, a great yeah, moment yeah, in hip hop. Yeah. Great moment. I in think radio. so. And you know what? And 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 you know, and I'm going to be fair. Um, I thought Hot handled it actually v- extremely well. Um, yeah, that's that's that. You know, I, I remember I listened that day on the radio to Hot, and and I, I was like, man, how would I? You know, I didn't know how I would handle it, and I thought they handled it professionally. I think even in, um, you know, look, and, and I guess, I, you know, I guess, you know, one could say, well, what else were they going to do? You know, it's not like you're going to go out and start slandering or whatever. She's not that kind of person. She doesn't deserve that. But 
but I just I thought even the way they handled kind of the whole thing kind of uh, helped their process mm. to be honest because that I mean. You know, it would be the equivalent of Charlemagne leaving and going sure. or, or whatever, you know what I mean? Or, or Flex leaving or whatever. And just keep in mind, too, like, you know, and I, these conversations happen all the time. You know what I'm saying? That's why when you asked me about the whole beef thing with, with Hot and Power, it's like, yeah, it was real. But don't think that, you know, and, and unless you really just jump out the window and completely play yourself, like, don't think the conversations aren't being had all the time between parties at the stations on the on air side, programming side, or whatever. There's only but so many places to go get jobs. Sure. So unless you really just jump out the window and kill yourself, like you need to maintain some sort of um, you know, middle ground. Because you, you, what are your choices? You know what I mean? Especially if you want to stay in New York. You know, we spoke about you said that, you know, possibly you thought about having Red and Meth as a morning show. Yeah. Who are some people that you try to go after that didn't happen? Not only for morning show, for mm. anything in, while you were in... Flex. Flex? Yeah. For for, for what? For, for um, clues? Yeah. No, no. It would just it would have been, you know, for whatever. We would have tried to integrate them with the team. We have conversations with that about everybody. That's what I'm saying. It's not... And how did that happen? It just didn't work? Well, just relationships, right? No, I mean, I mean what was the conversation Yeah, it just like? it, it, didn't, it, it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? For whatever reason, you know, and timing or contracts or money or whatever. Um... But I mean, the same way, you know, hot, you know, would would talk to me or, or or whoever. It's just what I'm just saying is it's it's not a one person thing. If you're a good programmer and you're a good evaluator of talent and you have good relationships, then you should be having these conversations all the time. And I'm not saying you need to go and poach and and take things because I also am a firm believer is like I would rather take some young talent, develop them into exactly what I'm looking for, and then you know, have this person blossom into a star. That's best case scenario. But there's also some no brainers out there that you have to have a conversation about. You know, when people will say, well, aren't you afraid that hot's coming after Sharp? I would expect them to like mm. that. You, well, they should be. You know what I'm saying? Like I sat down with Ebro right, before and course. he said that, uh, they did, they were trying to do something for Charlemagne and Ebro or whatever. I, on the by the way, show. I know nothing about it, but okay. I would imagine. Why wouldn't they? Why wouldn't they? You know, Rosenberg. You know, if I'm if I'm WFAN, guess what? I want to see if I can get Rosenberg on to on the fan because he's really good on ESPN. Mm. You know what I mean? Like he those, is. he's very good. I you know, and I think he's personally, I think he's better in, at sports than he is. And I, and again, I think their morning show is very good, and I think their morning show is very smart, and it's and it adds something different. I just think he's phenomenal at sports. Yeah. And one of the smartest moves for him, he can do that job for 30 years. Well, the good thing I think about Rosenberg is he's found a way to uh, um, get across his passions, mm-hmm. you know, vocally. Yeah, for sure. No, he, he, listen, he, he takes a stand and he's not afraid to back it up. Now, he's a very good, very good radio person. He's a very good personality. You, yeah. know, I, you know, I'm not into wrestling, but when I see him on that, I'm like, all right, he's good at that. You know, I think in hip-hop, too, you know, sometimes, you know, people say this, people say that. So he gets very agitated mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Obviously, many people know that mm-hmm. he, he has, like, a short temper for that or mm-hmm. he gets very angry with that. I remember telling him, like, yo, you're winning. Yo, this guy's on Hot 97 and fucking sports radio. Yeah, but radio. you know what, though? I would be careful, though, to say whether or not it's anger or it's passion, right? Because... You know, it's good to, you have to be passionate about it, right? And there's things that I've been extremely passionate for in the music business that I've, 
yeah, I push it on the line. Like this might not work out the way I want to, but I'm going to stand behind it. Um, I think he just stands behind it. I don't get the anger from him. Like I don't, I don't see that. I, I get passion, which I think is really good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, I, but and by the way, I don't know if you're talking specifically like the him and Charlemagne piece of it. No, no, no. I'm just mm-hmm. saying he gets angry when people don't, you know, um, you know, re- understand. You know, people come at him or people like he doesn't That's like. Pro- yeah, I mean, he, I, he's, look, he's very sensitive into the sense of what people say, and I'm like, yo, who gives a fuck yeah, what they say? But, you know, because you're doing your he's, thing. He's definitely winning, and look, and I'll be honest, it's one of the reasons why I um, enjoy playing the background a little bit. I never. I'm sensitive, man. I'll be honest. Like I, you know, I I would love to sit back and say, uh, I don't give a shit what somebody says about me on social media. They're gonna yeah. put you on that bus back to Boston, right? I mean, but and I don't generally. But if I was getting it at the level that Charlemagne and him and Ebro and Envy and Ed, that they get it, man, that shit would be tiresome. Especially when you know the biggest issue that we have, and we have this. By the way, we have this issue with the podcast, and one of the, one of the reasons why for me it's easy to separate the good from the bad is that is that there's so many trolls out there even on the podcast side where they're going to say whatever the fuck they want and not have any real reasoning to back it up they're just looking for hits and so there's so many people out there just looking for hits that have no facts they haven't haven't looked into it and you'll never hear an apology from them when when it's you know shown to not be true that would get frustrating to me i i'll be honest it's the one thing i enjoy about kind of not being in the front is that I don't have to deal with that shit too much, you mm. know, which is, yeah, that could be, that could be draining, man. I get that part of it. Well, listen, all your years in the music industry, yep. you know, here's the biggest question I'm going to give you. Uh-oh. Is radio dead? No. And, okay. This is a two part. Yep. And is <laughs> the day of breaking new artists on radio dead? Okay. So let's deal with the first one. Um, no, radio is not dead. Um, you know, one of the conversations, and it's funny because I've, I've actually been, having more talks with streaming people actually in my new capacity. Um, and they would actually tell you that, that although streaming has, has blown up and, and become the new way to make money in the business, um, radio still pushes those streaming numbers to the next level, right? Um, so it's still free. It's still in your car. People are still listening to it. Um, you know, I think iHeart did a, you know, one of the surveys that say 93% of people still consume radio. Um, radio is not dead. I do not think radio is growing. I don't think that will ever happen. Um, but I think radio is going to be around mm. for a long time. Uh, in terms of breaking new artists on radio, I think that has become a lot harder for two reasons. One, um, I think that radio's become a little bit of victim to our own um, researching systems. And although that's changing, I, from, from what I do know now, um, I think that smart programmers are paying a lot more attention to what the kids are streaming and what's going on in Shazam and, and what's going on in the other forms of data that we have available to us now, which is the greatest part about where we are with music right now technology is that um, the data is accessible to us. Mm-hmm. So you can see what's really kind of going on. I tell artists this all the time now. Radio's really good from getting you from second base home. But if you want to get on base, you need to go figure out a way to lay down a bunt on SoundCloud or in your hometown selling mm-hmm. tickets or um, going to radio immediately with a record for an unknown artist, for the most part, is a complete waste of time. Mm. Um, yes, can you get lucky and, and hit with a smash record? Absolutely. But the chances aren't very good. Sure. You need so, to you need to build a fan base. So is hitting the lotto, right? You know, and, and by the way, the odds are probably better to hit the lotto <laughs> because there's that many people out there doing it. It's you know one of the great things about where music is right now is that it it's 
so easy to kind of do, right? So everything from the kid producing um, the song in his bedroom to cutting vocals in his bedroom to having the MP3 to uploading it himself on a SoundCloud or YouTube or whatever and the discovery, you can do it. The problem with that is, is obviously that everybody's doing it and the quality isn't always um, cutting through, right? I mean, there was always a process. You had a songwriter and then you had a producer and you had to go into the studio and had to get it mixed and you had to get it mastered and you sat with it for months and then when you felt it was ready and then you put it out. These kids are just putting shit out. You know what I mean? Tomorrow. Right. Tomorrow. Right. And and so it's, um, so yeah, so the quality, the quality slips in the, in the amount, in the, we're, we're hearing a lot more shit than we did before. But don't get it fucked up. Like I was, you know, I would get CDs of garbage for, you know, it's just the quantity so much now. So, so yeah. So if you're looking to break through as an artist, a brand new artist at radio, that ain't the way to go. Yeah. You know, you got to invest in you, invest in you. Yeah. And you know, one thing I'm seeing now kind of in the new gig is now that I'm dealing with so much more live music, it's really about, and and I said this as I was a DJ and I tell this to every single one of my interns or whoever, a people that I work with on the air, there's always somebody, especially look perfect for this podcast. There's going to be somebody listening to this podcast that's never heard the podcast before. Don't make them think that you're whack. You know mm. what I'm saying? Mm. So if you're going to do a show or if you're going to DJ a party, there's going to be that one person. I don't care if you have to between, you know, 10 people or 10,000. There's going to be somebody that has never heard you before. Make sure they leave with the best impression of you. And I think that's kind of what gets lost a little bit nowadays is that there's no um, people just say whatever they want, not kind of thinking of the ramifications sure. of that. And eventually, if a lot of people are saying you're whack. Yeah, you're probably whack. You're probably whack, and it's probably and, and and by the way, you may not be whack. You might just not have put the effort in to be good. Mm, That's mm, two different things. Mm. And that takes time. Yeah, and work man. and work. Listen, uh, on radio mm-hmm. today, yep. what's more important, the on-air personality or the music? It's always the music. Mm-hmm. Um, there are rare circumstances, I think, when, um, look, in terms of mainstream radio, you got to play hits. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You have to play the songs that the people want to hear. Um, are there rare uh, instances? Howard Stern. Howard Stern's bigger than any music <laughs> that he'll ever play. Um, you know, I like to think, you know, people tune in the Breakfast Club because they like the Breakfast Club and they, they hear the music. Um I mean, look, Angie cracks through, Flex Flex cracks through. But at the end of the day, man, it comes down to on those radio stations, on music-driven radio stations, it's about the music and the personalities are there to drive and entertain between the songs, Mm -hmm. generally speaking. You know, you um, left radio Mm -hmm. recently. Yep. um, Six months ago now, yeah. Went to UTA. Yep. Went to the agency world. And for people who don't know that, that, what does UTA mean? United Talent Agency. And... You, what's your position over there? Explain. I'm an agent, but it's 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 actually a very unique position. So, kind of going back, um, when this opportunity posed itself um, in December of last year, I never thought really about. I'm not gonna say I never thought about leaving radio because I think, you know, as you advance in life, you're always thinking about what the next step is. But I hadn't thought about an agency, um, and this opportunity uh, posed itself. Um, UTA traditionally has always been uh, biggest film television comedy, so they represent everybody from Kevin Hart to Angelina Jolie. It's a big Hollywood. Um, yeah, firm. How the fuck did they reach out to you? <sighs> you know the the, the CEO he he had um, they they're developing the music um, department and they were trying to look for kind of some unique ways to kind of grow it in terms in, in not in the traditional agent sense where you're just going out and you have 
said artists and you could put said artists on the road and uh, do tours and festivals or whatever. They were kind of looking at a, the bigger picture, what I really loved in terms of um, the agency world and kind of what that what does that mean now? It, it involves live shows. It involves having relationships with radio. It involves having relationships with artists, has in uh, relationships with the record labels. Um, digital huge you know i'd done a lot of digital you know been working a lot of digital stuff with with the iheart people so i was well versed in that i'd always looked at numbers a little bit differently um mm-hmm. you know system that we use is called media base which shows the amount of spins and stuff well people would look at spins i'd be like spins are cool but i always looked at audience like there's always different ways of looking at things and i kind of always looked outside the box so you know got back um ceo jeremy zimmer he we had a phone conversation i went out there i was blown away with what they were doing um and it just felt right. And I liked the people there. And, and for me, timing, look, I could have stayed at, I, I feel like, I, I hope I could have stayed at iHeart for 20 years and been extremely happy. But it was an opportunity for me to kind of step out and diversify my portfolio a little bit, learn a new part of the business. Did you do that pros and cons like you did Absolutely. the first well, time? Yeah, well, we talked about, yeah, for sure. I mean, me and my wife sat there and... Again. Again, you know, 18 years later. Um and we were obviously at a different point in our lives now. Um, if this opportunity had come across five years ago, I'm not sure I would have taken it because there are there is a little bit more travel involved. And my kids were younger, but my my girls are now 11 and, and 13. And, you know, I'm lucky if they, you know, come out of their rooms to say hi to me sure, when sure. I get home. I and, yeah. And, and, and listen, and technology is so advanced, right? You got FaceTime. So good FaceTime conversation goes yep. a long way. Um, and we weighed out the pros and cons, man. And there were a lot on the pro sides and the cons were pretty light. You know, the cons for me were I'll miss radio. I'll miss the people that I work with. But on the pro side was like, if this doesn't work out, I feel like I'm pretty good at what I do. You know, I, I feel like that I've put in the, in the work that sometimes, man, you just, you got to step out and take a chance. And if it didn't work out, then we figure it out, you know? Yeah. And, um, did you know right away that you were going to make that decision? After I came back from LA and, you know, you're waiting, you know, you always kind of wait and see kind of, I felt good about it, but I didn't sure. know how they felt. And once it kind of got back to me that they felt pretty good about it, um, I kind of knew. Mm. Um, because you were in a position that you were already, you know, established, did you push harder for an offer? Meaning like, did you mm. put all your chips no. in? Like, look, if you want to. No, and I, I didn't need to, man, to be yeah. honest. It was, um, it was right. I mean, right from the start. It was, there really wasn't much of the negotiating back and forth. It wasn't, they, they, they did was right. I, and it, and it felt good, man. And, and again, back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of quality of life, that's what I looked at too, right? I was like, how does my quality of life change? You know, I wasn't sure. I was like, it was funny. The first, my first day at work, um, at the new job, at the new job, I was, you know, I was already, I had already had money put aside to say, you know what, I got to get a whole new wardrobe because I dress like a bum going into work every day. <laughs> and sure enough, you know, I, I walked in and, and it's, there's a, there's a big difference between, um, the TV film agents and the music agents. I walked up, so we have the, we have one of the f- upper floors and they had Laura, and I walked in and, you know, saw, saw the guys that I work with now. I was like, oh man, I'm one of the best dressed here. I'll be okay. So I didn't need to buy a new wardrobe, which was nice. Um, but yeah, man, I mean, you, you look at quality of life and I realized my quality of life wasn't going to change. If not, it was going to get better. Um, and it just gave me, and, and the most exciting part for me, Pete, is that I love hip hop. I've mm. been doing hip hop mm. for, you know, 30 years sure. now. Um, but now I was actually getting a, every facet with, of it almost. Yeah. I'm getting to work Except with, for becoming I'm getting a, you know, 
look at you know you know radio proposals for groups like Guns and Roses or Paramore or Muse or you know those are some of the clients. Those are some of the clients that, that we you, have that, that we that we have in our building. You know what I mean? And again, I don't represent these artists; they have their own agents. But in some forms of fashions, I'm I'm, I'm jumping into these teams and kind of helping out um, with we, artists like Guns and Roses. Yeah, or just you know, yeah, you know, we, Guns and Roses played the Garden. You know. Th- you know, three nights, you know, one question, like, you know, what radio people should we invite to this thing? Boom, invite these. So some form of fashion, there's conversations being placed. Sure. Um, also super excited about artists that we have, like, uh, you know, what what Post Malone is doing right now. He's one of ours. I mean, he's just going into another stratosphere, you know, 21 Savage, Khaled. Um, yeah, it's exciting, man. It's like, I just, I love the fact that I'm getting to work kind of with all different genres. Man, I was in Nashville, man. I went to the Grand Old Opry last Friday. Really? You know, which was culture shock to me but it was so cool to be in this place and and by the way which i didn't understand history wise it's the oldest running radio show music radio uh, music radio show it's been going on since the 1920s wow you know what i mean so it's the longest running music broadcast i think is what it is so. are your any of your aging tactics like ari gold uh mine uh <laughs> I probably got some that i just haven't you know dug into yet now i mean i'm not a yeller and screamer um I can. I mean, I, I would say that some of the label people would tell you different. Um, nah, you know, I mean, for me, I, you know, develop them. We got a couple of Aries in our building. I don't really need to need to be Ari as much. <laughs> you know, I, I've been able to play good cop. I haven't been able to play bad cop too much so far. But I'm sure that will change as time goes on. Man, let me tell you something. The journey of G-Spin, um, <laughs> I feel like it, it, it's it's still untapped. There's so much that you've been... I like to think so, man. No, I mean, no, no, yeah. Well, of course. Of course it you is know. because... You know, with this new position, yeah. being able to, you know, walk into different, you know, rooms mm-hmm. and, and, and different, you know, cities and states. and Yeah, and different, again, different genres exciting for me to, to be able, you know, to kind of be involved in all different types of music. Um, and even more so, man, working with different people in different aspects of the industry, right? So being in kind of the radio DJ world so long, right, you really work mostly with promotion teams at labels, right? So they're promoting the records to you, sure. they're pushing records on you. Um, sometimes A&R because, you know, you need to kind of see what's going on. But now it's really having more conversations with a lot more of the A&Rs, um, but managers, lawyers, um, you know, all the people that represent these clients that we'd like to bring over um, sure. to represent. You know what I mean? So it's so it's not just dealing with different genres, but it's de- dealing with different aspects of the music business. And, and man, and I will tell you this, the, the, the coolest thing for me so far is it, well not it's completely coolest but it's to realize you know i've kind of been in this radio space for so long is that how smart a lot of the people working around me are mm. um it, it's refreshing because like i i literally i'll just kind of sit there be quiet and i'll and i'll kind of just take it all in like a sponge and just listen because i always feel like that's always the best way to learn right it's like you can ask questions and that's good and you want to be proactive you want to know what's going on but sometimes if you just shut up and listen Mm. Shut up and listen. Shut up and listen. You know, I tell my kids, just shut up and listen. There you go. You know, it, you will learn so much just by being quiet mm. and just figuring it out. You know mm. what I mean? And and that's I love that. That's where my energy is right now. Young kid listening to this uh, mm-hmm. episode wants to break into the music industry, or mm-hmm. right now is in the music industry, mm-hmm. or at a radio station. Yep. Um, but you know, wanting more. Mm-hmm. What's your advice to him? Well, part of it is shut up and listen. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that that's important. But I think you have to you have to be cautiously aggressive. Is what I like to say, right? You need to let the person, your direct superior, whoever, whatever the chain of command is, and whatever you're doing, know that you can do more without 
overly pressing or overly step in that line, right? It's, it's a very thin line. You want to show the person the, and the people around you that you're willing to do more and, and do extra and stay in and put in that work, but without being a pest about it, saying, I want to do more. I want to do more. Because but, by the way, there's some people that, by the way, I was like this. I always wanted to do things myself and I wasn't very good at delegating. There's some people out there that aren't very good at delegating responsibilities, right? So you kind of have to feel that out a little bit. Mm. Um, so I would say that if you are in doing a college radio show and you want to get into, you know, have those conversations, shoot an email, say, hey, do you mind if I ask you a couple of questions? Um, and then if you realize the person doesn't really want to answer a couple of questions, figure out a new approach. Um, cautiously aggressive mm. is the way I think you should always kind of kind of do it. And, I like that tactic. Yeah, it, it makes sense, right? It's like you if you're overly aggressive, you're going to be a turnoff. Sure. If you if you if you're not aggressive at all, you're going to get nowhere. Find good balance. Find good balance, man. And and that kind of goes, you know, I think in in everything, man. There's there's people that you can push and there's people that you can't. And you know, and again, it's it's the same with me. Like and and what I love seeing is, and I've seen so many of them, especially over the past couple of years, the interns that I've had that have been able to figure that out, that will come to my office, see I was busy and evaluate the situation and come back another time, but not just be in there nonstop when I'm doing something. Sure. You know what I mean? So sure. it's, it's, and, and those are the people that are now executive assistants at major labels or doing A&R or have moved on to have their own radio shows, or their own program directors. Like, that's what I like to see, mm. you know, because sometimes you got to figure it out. You know, and there's not necessarily a blueprint to all this. Listen, on Twitter at G spin. Yes. G E E S P I N. Same on, on, same on the gram as well. Listen, uh, last question. For yes. You. Besides. This was great, by the way. Thank, thank you, you for having me. Of course. No, this is, I was saying, this is, First time that I've been on this side of the mic, and God, I, I can't even remember the last time I was interviewed. Yeah. You know, I've done a lot of interviews, but, you know, being interviewed is, you know, it's different. So, hey, listen, you. Um, you know, like I told you, behind the scenes people, you know, people look for people to be in the light. But mm -hmm. the behind the scenes people, to me, uh, who, I mean, so much movers and shakers, mm -hmm. so much experience, so much knowledge. And that's all you. And, yeah, and, and that's what it. this episode is and people I want people to listen to this and learn more about I, I told you I want your friends to listen to this shit I didn't know that, <laughs> that you were involved in that yeah there's probably some things that they found out you know listen um, outside of your family mm -hmm. what's your biggest accomplishment through all these years in the industry <sighs> um, I that like, you love well for me honestly man I, I like the fact that I think I've put people in positions to win um, and again whether or not it's the intern or it's um you know, somebody like, you know, I, knew, I didn't mention him and I probably should have like somebody like Pro Style mm -hmm. who, who, I'd, who he he was he was uh, he wasn't as say cautiously aggressive. He was more on the aggressive side when he was in Orlando and he was pounding. He was like, y'all get me back to New York and give it. And he came back to New York and I, and I brought him back into power. And he was, you know, he's just no, just nobody that works harder probably that I've ever worked with. Super hustler uh, to kind of see what he's done. And now he's moved into one of my roles at power he's now the music director at power. nice so to kind of see like those people you know what i mean that you know whether or not it's a breakfast club or you know somebody like self and with his love and hip-hop world or, or whatever um to even just like interns that i see getting on the labels is kind of for me putting people in positions to win like mm -hmm. as much as i can you know what mm -hmm. i mean and yes there are times with there's probably been thousands that i've tried that didn't work out but kind of just seeing those wins that's the most important to me mm -hmm. for sure um yeah, that was the last question, but the the tweet with Jay Z when Jay Z nah, went on Twitter, dude. You know, I still that still gets retweeted. It's classic, which is so crazy to me. It's classic. Yeah, he uh, 
Jay and I, we talk, we talk a lot of sports trash yeah. back and forth. Um, you built a relation with him over the years of being. Um, I did, and it both, yeah, we didn't even get to that story. That that almost that when I was telling you earlier, that was the one thing when I when I was stepping out aggressive that could have gone unbelievably wrong. Uh, just quick story. He he, they had come to play us DOA. Um, and this was my first or second year of power. And I had a relationship with Jay, but we, we knew each other, but we didn't know each other. Know each other. And uh, they came to do the smooth over, and they came to play it before they released it. And, you know, there, there's obviously the co-sign for Hot 97, and it's like, you know, this is for Hot 97, for, you know, da da Yeah, sure. And so they went around the room, and there were some programmers in there that weren't as necessarily um, offended as I was. Um, in terms of my station, I thought the record was great, and they kind of came around to me, and they asked me my thoughts on it. And I said, honestly, I was like, well, as a hip hop fan, it's probably one of my favorite records you ever did. I was like, we're never going to play this shit on this radio station, but it's great. And the room, <laughs> and the room went really silent and it sparked a conversation that, you know, could have gone bad for me. But um, what was amazing about that moment for me, and I knew I was rolling the dice, was he hit me and he didn't have my email or anything. I think it was Blackberry at the time. He sent me a, a text later. He said, I appreciated your candor. And that meant a lot to me. Mm. Um, you know, and it's funny. Jay's one of the people that I, um, when I was leaving power, he it was a small kind of um, group of people that I, I shot emails to, kind of just thanking them. Because I tell you, man, making the move, you know, not to drag on because I know we're wrapping up. But, you know, when you do make a move like this, you, you become very conscious of kind of the people that put you on and kind of looked out. And, mm. and I'll tell you, without, without like, and I shot him a note, I said, you know, you were very important to me. Getting power yeah, sure. to where we would go because sure. we did we did have a little bit of a partnership. There were things that we he did with us as a station that he may not have done before, and that helped me. He performed in the first powerhouse that I ever sure. put on him and Little Wayne, um, and so that was important to me. So yeah, so you, when did when he you, write back to your email? Uh, well, no, he well he shot yeah he shot me. He said I appreciate your candor, and then you know I forget what it was from that. But no, I mean you said that when you were leaving. Oh yeah 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 no he was like yeah no he I I sent him a note uh, and he uh, he was like. Bro, that's amazing. Congratulations on your next step. He's always been very uh, super kind to me. And, mm-hmm. and not just me, but like my wife, my, you know, my wife, she's not, she loves old school hip hop. There's very few shows that she cares about that she will ever go to. But when Jay's always in town, it's like she needs to see Jay, she, Beyonce, of course. I mean, there's a couple, but Jay's the one and he's always been uh, very kind to my family as well. Mm-hmm. So yeah, not, spin. yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, but so the tweet was, it was crazy. So I just... You know, he was on Twitter, man. So I was like, yo, let me talk some shit about his Cowboys because they were so pathetic at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when he said, yeah, now nah, Blues with Giants fan. Yeah, yeah, I broke the mold. I broke the mold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love that. It's pretty funny. Listen, G, I wish you all the best. Thank you, brother. Uh, thank you for um, just all the years. Like, the thing is, like I said, again, you know, I want to continue to keep on hopping on it. But mm-hmm. behind the scenes, people make this world go around. Yep. Make this culture stay alive. And, and, and you know, it's it's. it's and people like you too, man. Like, you got to keep doing these stories, man, because these are the ones that I find to be interesting. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, you know, the the rappers and the and the singers and all that, they kind of, they they get their moments, but it's kind of, it's the movers and shakers and the kind of people that uh, do the stuff behind the scenes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I can sit here for fucking another fucking 30 minutes <laughs> to talk about how be- uh, Boston pizza is not hey, that good. Okay. I agree, by the way. Okay, thank but you. But by bro. the way, I also think New York pizza is slightly overrated. Well, uh, depends where you're Slightly going. Overrated. Depends who's bringing yeah, you around. Right. That's true. You know what? But Philly pizza. Yeah. I'm a Philly guy. Philly pizza's good. Let's stick to the cheesesteaks. All, right. All right. Internets, listen. <laughs> G-Spin. Cheer. Yeah. Internets, if you loved what you just heard, do me a favor, please. Go over to iTunes, subscribe, rate, 
If you if you mess with SoundCloud, follow us or Spotify, whatever it is. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. It helps us. It helps us look helps us look look, look clean in these streets, man. I need your help. Okay, you got all these gems. You're getting all this uh, uh, inspiration. You know, I pour my heart out on these fucking episodes, and I try to bring to you people from all walks of life, whether that be entrepreneurs, athletes, artists, and really go over the journey. No fuck shit, no drama, just real life shit. So if you fuck with the Premium P Show, please head on over to iTunes, subscribe, press that subscribe button, rate, and leave a comment. I don't care if you say, like, yo, Pete, I love the show, or if you say, Pete, go fuck yourself. It's all right. Sometimes it has to be like that. Make sure you go to iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, TuneIn, wherever you get your podcast and listen to your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. Okay? I appreciate y'all. And we'll see you next episode. Cheers.